What are you two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. Welcome back to Who Pots a Watchman, an HBO Watchmen companion podcast. But the HBO show hasn't aired yet, so what are we doing? We are talking about the comic. We are talking about chapter three, or issue three, or however you want to term it. Whatever. Of the 12-issue original comic book series, Tome. I think we've been calling it a Tome. The Great Tome uh, by Alan Moore. This, this puts us at one quarter of the way through. Good God. <laughs> There's 12, right? There's 12 issues. Yeah, no, yeah. Nobody, did you didn't read this thing like issue by issue, right? You you read the graphic novel. Yeah, I've been The first it. time. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine waiting week after week for I this? I can't. If anyone who's listening was around in 85 when this was published, let us know what that experience was like getting it issue by issue because those people are out there, right? Yeah. There's got to be old people out there in the world still, <laughs> I think. Well, I mean- if they were into this, maybe they, maybe they killed themselves by now. I was three years old when this came out, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was not the most literate. My name's Mike Moody, and I'm Grant Davis, and we are pouring through the Watchmen tome before the HBO uh, Watchmen series drops in, uh, in the fall. Some yeah. TBD, we don't know. No premiere date yet. Um, great, great looking cast. Of course, we have Damon Lindelof doing the uh, the creator of the show. Mm-hmm. So. Um, if you want to listen to our breakdown of the first trailer for the show, check out whopodsofwatchmen.com. I think that was our first episode that we did. Right. Yeah, first or second episode. But now we're going through the, the comics. Oh, let people know how they can support us. Oh, patreon.com slash whopodsofwatchmen. Please go over there and kick us a buck or two per episode. We don't put them out that often anyway, so you're not going to be uh, losing out on too much money. But your money is going to support a podcast that hopefully you love. So that that's a good thing. Um, occasionally we put up little uh, bonus or, or we're going to put up some little bonus episodes that you will have exclusive access to. But that's not why you do it. You do it because you want to support a show. Um, and we you love us, and we appreciate you guys so much. Patreon.com slash Who Pods the Watchmen. And we do we have social accounts anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I've been messing around with our social media <laughs> accounts, and uh, there, there's some rules apparently to like uh, Twitter and Instagram of um, proper etiquette. And I'm, I might have fussed don't, with it a little. <laughs> you can't post DPs to Insta anymore. I, I tried, and they flagged me. No. Um, they they do throttle how many people you can like follow or mm. or certain you like just liking follow everybody. Yeah, I'm just so happy. I'm like a, a golden retriever out there. <laughs> so uh, my mistake, but we still have those up there. Please follow us, and uh, we appreciate you know getting feedback and being able to engage with you guys over there. And maybe we'll follow you back if we ever get that power uh, <laughs> <We're> restored. <allowed>. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, you know what? I did have a question before we dive right into this. Oh no. Um. So Lindelof wrote a glowing letter. You know, mm-hmm. at some point maybe mm-hmm. we should even like go over his letter that he wrote. Yeah, I read but that. it was it was basically a letter both to Alan Moore and to us, the audience, about what his goal is for the show and how he wants to do a loving tribute to the Watchmen. He didn't want to adapt this directly, but he wanted to make something that exists in the world of the Watchmen, and he wants to, <laughs> as as tough of a goal as this is. Um, pay tribute to Alan Moore in a way that hopefully Alan Moore would appreciate. Even and though Alan Moore will never watch this TV show. He won't because he hates everything right. uh, that anyone ever does to try and adapt his stuff. He's a bitter old hairy man. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's going to make the effort. And what I was wondering is there's been a couple other comics that have come out after the fact. Do you think those you are... Watch, Watchmen comics? Yeah. Yeah. Watchmen comics. Do you think those are any in any way considered canon for Lindelof and his adaptation, it, it, like is I was he wondering about that. Those I was as well. I was wondering about that because there is there are two characters in those new comics, and I've read all of this online. I haven't dived into those comics. Yeah. They're called Doomsday Clock, and there are two characters in those comics that have been cast for the show. 
See, that's interesting. My, I think uh, one is called Mime or Mimic. It's mm-hmm. it's one of them is the character played by um, the guy who played Ichabod Crane in uh, Sle- Nestor Sleepy Hollow. No, not Nestor. No, I was gonna try and say the. Uh... Nestor Carbonell? Yeah. <laughs> From Lost? It's not him. I mean, that would be great. I love him. No, it's uh, a... no the Tom Meissen. Tom Meissen. Tom Meissen from Sleepy Hollow. He's playing a character called either Mime or Mimic. I think it's Mime. Yeah. and Something that, to do with a mime. And that character was in the Doomsday Clock comic or is in the current Doomsday Clock comic. And, and is it Pirate, show. Pirate Betty or Pirate Jenny? Or? I don't know if Pirate Jenny's in the in the comic. Do you know? No, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I think maybe he's picking up some of what he likes from the Doomsday Clock source material. But that makes – that's interesting. That's an interesting question because the Doomsday Clock, as far as DC is concerned, is canon to the original Watchmen graphic novel that we're talking about today. But is the original graphic novel that we're talking about today canon to the HBO series? The original is, I believe. Right. But, but it's like a matter of mm-hmm. would is Lindelof trying to pay enough respect to Alan Moore that he would dismiss the other stuff and be like, mm-hmm. that stuff doesn't count because, right. hey, you and me, you and me, Alan, we're bros. It makes me wonder why he would incorporate some of the characters from the new comics into his show. Maybe he just really loved them. Yeah. Or maybe DC was like. We're not going to license this out to you unless you do some sort of tie-in. That's, mm. that's a cynical part of me talking. I mean, this is a good point to uh, tell you guys, the audience, that we have not read any of the spin-off Watchmen-related comics yet. We might have time to go ahead and delve into that, depending upon when the release date is of this Maybe show. we should do that on Patreon. Oh. We could do that. That's incentive for you guys to give us that money. Yeah, that'd be cool. we got to buy those comics. So. <laughs> all right. Let's jump into this comic. The this, Judge of All the Earth. The Judge of All the Earth. It is a Oprah Genesis quote. Is it Oprah Winfrey? <laughs> is she the Judge of All the Earth? <laughs> I mean, yeah, right? Uh, she judges us unworthy. <laughs> um, okay. So the, the cover image shows a fallout shelter sign, the yellow radiation sign. And they've cleverly cropped this. So it says, all out helter. Like helter skelter, like all out. Oh, you know what I got from this? I got, even though it doesn't really work, but to me, when I look at it, it says all hell. All hell. Like all hell's going to break loose. Right. Yeah. And the smoke that's drifting up in front of it is in the shape of a skull, like a profile of a skull. Is it? Yeah, look, you you see the mouth um, and the eye socket here and the nose. And it looks like it's like Pac-Man trying to eat that center thing. Waka, waka, waka. Sure. <laughs> Back well, and to the left. It's it's cleverly thought out. And this issue is going to deal a lot with Dr. Manhattan and him leaving the planet Earth, growing tired of us. Although that famous quote doesn't come until, I think, the next issue. I think that's uh, – this cover gives that away, that this is a Dr. Manhattan – I want to say episode, but issue because – the Watchmen logo is in blue. Um, well, if you got the individual issue like I do, yeah, uh, the Watchmen logo is in blue. Yeah, and then they wrote the, they made the chapter thing in right. blue as well. And I think the I guess they're going by color with these because it seems that that I'd never noticed. Yeah, because the last issue was pretty much all about the comedian and his death and his life. Um, and his color is what like an orange. Yeah. Well, this this is orange on here. Yeah. So. Right on. Yeah, so um, this comic, I'm going to complain about something. I'm really depressed now after reading this comic. This it, is like, I, I mean, I, you're killing me because I, this, was, this podcast was your idea, and then I suffer from depression, and this comic is fucking depressing. Thank God for any depressants is all I can say, especially this issue. It's a sad issue. It's pretty sad. Uh, it's also... This one feels like it's it's trying a little bit too much to be clever. Thank you. Yes. Where it, it becomes a little taxing. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, all right, calm the fuck down, Alan Moore. What were your what are your specific complaints? Well, every single panel of the uh, the Black Freighter yeah. comic uh, has to tie in with what's going in on. It's two like concurrently running storylines that are like really heavily linked together. Like mm-hmm. it's it's overt. It but is very overt. Like yeah. I would have preferred some degree of like subtlety. So I like oh maybe I could like try and read into like what he's trying to say about how this might parallel. Mm-hmm. But instead it's it's like 
oh, um, this guy is is shipwrecked and alone from from everyone that he loves and he doesn't think he'll ever get that back and it's like yeah that's dr manhattan i get it he's he's lost everything that he loved and now he's this person displaced from from time and space seemingly right and a lot of the the parallels it just kind of hits you over the head with it it does i think also in the previous issues i was already i felt like i was already like being hit over the head with the theme or the idea that dr manhattan is becoming more disillusioned with earth right. and earthlings and more dispassionate about everything and of course that's what this issue was all about so by the time i got to this issue they just hit that over the head so very much and i understand that's the main story in this issue but i don't know this wasn't my favorite issue it's important overall mm-hmm. when you realize the evil machinations in place by Ozymandias sure. in order to achieve such a goal. But it's it, it it still plays pretty well. I mean, this is still a great chapter. It's just overall, and with what we had for the first two, there's something a little bit like, I was like, all right, I get it. I get it. You're well, so clever. <laughs> what would you, you think about opening with the, uh, the news vendor? What do you think of that character? Uh... He's a. I, I don't know if this is supposed to be a commentary on. Yeah. On. I mean, he's not a journalist. Usually, I'd be like, "Oh, it's a commentary on journalists." But I guess it's it's sort of the take of the everyman and how he's kind of perceiving everything. Mm-hmm. This guy feels like since he's so engrossed in what's going on with the news, he sees it all the time. He interacts with people that he he's he's very cynical and and jaded by i guess the human experience and he's he's nervous but it seems like for good reason <laughs> he's, he yeah. seems to be right it's interesting it's interesting because he says he talks about how i know what's going on in the world in the news i sell the news i look at the headlines every day but you never see him actually absorbing any depth of the news stories or he, he's like a modern day uh yeah. Uh, absorber of news like yeah. it's just us with twitter it's just us with twitter <laughs> reading headlines that's it's pretty much all he is so yeah his his views aren't very well informed even though he thinks they are i will say this though he's got this sort of relationship with this kid who's reading the comics who's who's just apparently just like posts up and freeloads and reads his black freighter comic while smoking his pipe <laughs> next to him all day and he just listens to this this old news vendor kind of rant and rave about like these just whatever whims of political shit's going on and it seems like they don't necessarily have a, a friendly relationship he doesn't really know his name or anything uh, at one point it's raining and the kid asks for uh to borrow his hat which would leave that guy without a hat but whatever um and he's just dismissive of the kid, and he's like, yeah, you're freeloading. You need to pay for that comic anyway. Mm-hmm. And by the end, there is a little – there's like this emotional payoff. There's this arc for him where he does recognize a degree uh, – like he connects with someone. He has this this side of him, his humanity, where he says, kid, you can have that comic. The world's ending. Go hug and love the people around you, and you can have my hat as well. Right. Like it, it seemed like this – this kind, compassionate element of like there is, there is still good in this bleak world that Alan Moore is painting. There are still people who can care for each other, and I appreciated that. In fact, I felt like I kind of needed it after yeah. everything else that goes on here. Yeah, it was. It took you know staring certain doom in the face to bring this guy's heart out, which was interesting. Right. But yeah, um, we were introduced to the Black Freighter story, which is. Um, the comic within this world, and we mentioned this uh, a couple issues back, but in the, in a world where superheroes exist in real life, superheroes don't exist anymore in comics. In fact, they reference this in here. They say about Superman and, and Flash being characters previously. Flashman Flash is what he Flash says. Flashman. Yeah. <laughs> I used to sell dozens of Flashmen. But now those comics no longer exist, and what they like is – Looking at pirates, evil pirates, and um, yeah, it's <laughs> it was like uh, pirates are this whole bleak. Black Freighter thing is just a guy dealing with narrating death. It's horror all around him. Yeah, 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 it's not a pirate comic. It is a horror comic. Yeah, and um, so having him like his interaction all of a sudden with this guy Walter Kovacs. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this character. 
I think he thinks the end is nigh. He comes up holding a sign that says the end is nigh, and he he's always doing this, apparently. But this time, Rorschach is correct. He goes, yeah, you know what? I think the world's going to end today. And we end up finding out that essentially it does. As we see the events play out with Dr. Manhattan, this is the the what do you call it the um the catalyst catalyst for a whole string of things that are going to lead to humanity's destruction i love that rorschach is like where's my breitbart daily come on (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah (laughs) essentially that is what he's reading there but i mean he he's what do you think of him saying that do you think that he's just that's just his shtick or do you think that to some degree he was seeing that things are going really sideways with the death of the comedian and his own kind of paranoia that superheroes might be getting picked off, that yeah. maybe he he did have a, a little bit of a prescient moment of, like, this is where things are heading? I think it's the latter. Yeah, I think he really does believe superheroes are being picked off. And he doesn't know exactly who's next, but he knows they're eventually going to get around to Dr. Manhattan. And it's somebody really powerful they were able to discern who the comedian was and were able to take him out so swiftly. So he believes the threat is real and today could be the day. Who kills the watchman? That's that's the bigger question for him. So yeah, he's um we're let's go ahead and jump to uh sexy times. <laughs> now, you always talk about this uh Dr. Manhattan guy mm-hmm. being well endowed. He's got a big dick. Does he? It seems like he just has like a a normal blue dick in in here. <laughs> I think in the movie. In he the did. movie, he had like a yeah yeah. They were extra flattering there. Yeah, they were. But here he's just like, eh, he's like a really really muscular dude though. But he's got two dicks. <laughs> he's got <laughs> he's got three. He's got three or four. I don't know how many of I, him are like roaming around there. <laughs> I don't understand why he like makes duplicates of himself to have sex with Lori. He could just make like four or five dicks in one guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of octopus guy would this be? <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> like the Klingons. The Klingons have two dicks. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, Laurie, I, I was a little, like, confused by whether or not this is a new thing for her. Yeah, it is. Because it seems like she's she's shocked because she didn't expect it. But in some of their dialogue later, it sounds like they have done this kind of kinky threesome with him splitting into two before mm-hmm. and it w- but she just had to be aware of it before and this is um, like maybe and maybe the fact that he's kind of doing this without even like talking to her is weirding her out yeah i didn't get that i got what i think what these panels was trying to tell us was that she's freaked out by it at first but then she lets it go mm. but what really upsets her is the fact that his attention is divided yeah, because yeah. he's straight up doing science projects over in the corner, too, right. in another room. Yeah. I love when she throws a, a drink at him and just phases right through him. <laughs> yeah. He's like the vision. And it's it's kind of – it's really sad because we we see more and more that, in a way, Dr. Manhattan does really care about her. Does he? I think in, like he when he's sitting there he cares uh, on the bed her. after she leaves – yeah, that's it true. seems like she was his last tether to humanity, mm-hmm. and when she's through with him, I mean, when I say really care, he kind of cared. It was like one of the last things he seemed to care about. And but na- he, he's not like in love with her. No, yeah, it was it was a reason to stick around though. This uh, their whole relationship, the way it's depicted here, reminded me of that movie, the Spike Jones movie, Her. Right, Have you seen that? Where spoilers for her, but when Joaquin Phoenix towards the end, finds out that his lover, who is a computer program, has, like, hundreds of other lovers that she talks with simultaneously while she's talking to him, and he just can't deal with that and can't handle that because she has the capacity to do something like that. Right. And he can't... That is a similar situation that's going on here. You can't... It's hard for someone with the, you know, godlike capacity of Dr. Manhattan to be intimate anymore with one person. Right. They also show these these subtle little um, elements of how insanely powerful he is. Mm. Like, she throws the cup through him. It phases through him. He looks back at it. While one of him is still talking, <laughs> the other of him just goes and reassembles the whole thing 
he can he can make and unmake things in time. Like he, he's a walking god. And later on, he like changes the shade of his his skin tone for yeah. the, for the cameras. Like it's nothing. He, he he goes into the the news company and the TV station. He's like, yeah, I can go shade blue, which means he actively is okay with just being a naked blue dude, blue glowing guy. I, I guess like that's his natural state mm-hmm. that he's gonna be blue, and it's it's low effort for him. I guess that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise he could look human he could probably grow the hair on his head yeah and be normal skin tone if he wanted but he's like eh, i'm not gonna spend time on that i'll be blue so she leaves did you get that he there's a reference here that he failed to prevent jfk's assassination right yeah and then we later see that comedian was the one who <laughs> that's right did the assassination <laughs> right yeah yeah and uh also apparently he hooked up with Lori when she was 16 Yep. Okay. Little creepy. Mm. Uh, not not okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, all, all the more because he was part of the uh, original team as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And the Minutemen? The Minutemen, yes. And uh, her mom. <laughs> he was partners with her too. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, well, well, maybe, we get... he, maybe he wasn't fully active. Like when we saw that flashback, he wasn't part of it. No. no. Um. Well, the the information that Laurie was 16 when Dr. Manhattan hooked up with her comes from the bitter ex-girlfriend. Jane. So maybe maybe she was 18 or 20, but she was like just for dramatic effect saying she was 16 years old. So we see Janie chain smoking like a maniac mm. while giving this little – Well, she has cancer. Why not? Interview. Yeah, she's she's pretty much fuck it. It feels like a lot of people are just kind of pretty much fuck it in this comic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's, she's talking about like, yeah, he sucks. He abandoned me. He also gave me cancer. And then that's how we, we start seeing what's going to drive him away. And it's, it's pretty brilliant to me. Do you think this is a, a Vate owned newspaper that she's talking to? Oh because, man. Cause he does own a bunch of, yeah, he has a media empire and the, uh, Earlier, the uh, newsman, the newsstand owner, said they're holding the paper for some big reveal that they're going to publish tonight, and this is it. Yeah. So I'm sure it's Vate. It's a Vate-owned newspaper. Although he d- wouldn't need to. I mean, I, w- I feel like this is a big enough story. He could have uh, fished it out to someone else just to get any scent off of his trail. You just tweet it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just send a tweet, bro. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Uh, uh, and then, yeah, as uh, Lori leaves and Janie's giving her account, we see that she, uh, Lori runs into the arms of none other than sexy man himself, dad bod, night owl. Before, right before she walks into Dan's apartment, she passes it. This scene is juxtaposed with what's the other, the ex-girlfriend's name? Janie. Ja- with Janie's interview mm-hmm. about how Dr. Manhattan potentially gave her cancer. And we see um, Silk Spectre walking into Dan's apartment. She passes this billboard that says nostalgia mm-hmm. really big. And that's, you know, it's kind of in your face, but it's beautiful because. And it's right by Treasure Island as well. Right. Yeah. And the nostalgia, I think if you zoom, well, I'm zooming in because I'm looking on an iPad, but it, that is a, that's uh, Vate owned too. Everything's owned by Adrian Vite in this world. But it's it's funny because as she's um, as the interviewer is talking to Janie, they mm-hmm. stop, uh, they cut scenes to Lori walking in front of that nostalgia store, and it says, "If you want, we can stop here," which seems like a, a direct line to the audience as well. For sure, like if you want, we can just think about the good times. You can stop here in, mm-hmm. in the comic book, but if we keep going further, yeah, it's just gonna get more bleak, guys, and. Uh, and so we trudge on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we leave nostalgia behind. Um, so Dan, Night Owl, is getting his locks repaired after uh, we saw Dude, that that's Rorschach. that's not going to – why even try? Just yeah. put a screen door on the thing. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's so great. He's going to get in no matter what. again later. Yeah. And uh, Rorschach just makes fun of that fact. But yeah, he's getting that uh, repaired. And as he goes to make coffee, I like the little details of like, huh, all my sugar cubes are gone. What mm-hmm. happened there? And that's because Rorschach comes in and like a – Fucking a creepy little cockroach. Yeah. He just noms on sugar cubes <laughs> all day. <laughs> so gross. Um, yeah, but. So she says that she left John. And why do you think she goes to Dan? 
because she has no friends, yeah. and they had a date recently, and she's kind of sweating him. Yeah, Those are my three reasons. Yeah. She likes older men. Either they glow blue or they're just blue in, in demeanor, and that's all she needs. And yeah, so she goes and rushes into his arms, and um, he's he's comforting comforting her, and he's like, "Hey, you you can go walk with me over to uh, Old Man Hollis's," and she's like, "I'll walk on the way. I'm going to go get a hotel and you know have some me time." And okay, here's the part I really didn't like. Mm. Um, so they're talking about uh, the relationship between her and Manhattan. Yeah, and then. Um, she's talking about how people are like shadows to Dr. Manhattan, just shadows in the fog. And then it cuts back to her from him being sat on the bed oh. and she is obscured by a, a bunch of, uh, steam, the steam of the, yeah. <laughs> of the coffee. And it, while the, she's saying just shadows of the fog. The and word like, balloon above the steam literally sh- yeah, says. Yeah, I'm like, it's so heavy handed. <laughs> and the word fog is in bold. Just stop. Give yeah, me a break yeah, yeah. from it. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe maybe three issues in, they start getting a little disillusioned about, like, the greatest comic of all time being this powerfully written, <laughs> and it's, like, too much of a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. I need to go, I need to go watch the movie to remind myself of what trash is. Come back to this. <laughs> then I'll be okay. There's plenty of, plenty of movies out there. But we see Manhattan, like, sitting on the bed. What do you make of that? I don't know, because... I think he's realizing that he has lost or is losing, like you said, his final, his last tether to the world. And he's just kind of going through the motions. He has to get ready for this interview. And I I love these panels with him sitting on the bed. And while he's distracted in his own thoughts, his clothes fly out of the closet, you know. It's very uh, Cinderella or something, like with a mice coming to dress him. But Yeah, he just needs some, like, little bluebirds, like, doing his hair. It's just, he's a true Disney princess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so when we uh, pick back up, now we're going to move on to him doing his interview. And, you know, I I guess it's still juxtaposed with Laurie and Dan going for a walk, and they're going to have the run-in. With the Top Knot Squad. Top Knot Gang. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, is that what they're called? The Top Knot Gang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And he is... <laughs> I love the details of him zapping into the news station That's and his... everyone's sick. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. yeah, everyone's like vomiting. And like, what the fuck? We didn't sign on for this. This guy's a monster. He's making us all ill. And... It's cool that he just like casually drops his blue another shade, but he could totally he could totally look like anything else. Like, uh, we don't have time for makeup. Uh, okay, dark blue. Okay. Yeah, he builds he builds pink crystal castles on Mars. I feel like he could. <laughs> it's his brand. He's branding. Yeah, it, yeah. it is branding. He he knows he gets big, paid the big bucks for that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it cer- turns out that a little bit of a a, a gang knife fight for. Night Owl and Lori is... But it's a good thing. They kind of get their mojo back a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, while Dr. Manhattan's going down, they're kind of getting their mojo back. I was I was reading some commentary from someone else about this issue that it's all... Like, the last issue was all about um, death and coming to grips with uh, our, our own mortality with how everyone was kind of reflecting on the comedian's death. Mm-hmm. And this one is sort of about new beginnings, about Manhattan embarking on his new beginning, about right. this um, finding yourself – or new reality is what they kept saying. Um, the new reality – they were trying to say that um, Night Owl and, and Silk Spectre kind of getting back into it mm-hmm. is another like you, – you guys are kind of being reborn and, as something else. It's like uh, – It seems like they were the maybe the only two superheroes who are not – dark and corrupt, you know? Yeah. Or completely disinterested in humanity like Dr. Manhattan. They're similarly a a bit jaded by the experience, I'd say especially Silk Spectre, Mm -hmm. whereas uh, Dan Dryberg is just kind of a a dumb, happy puppy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he seems kind of lonely still, but he just kind of goes along with whatever. But he does long to be a hero and to help people. Right. And... It was kind of neat seeing them kick ass, but then I remembered how Zack Snyder tackled the same material, and I was just like, oh, Mm. Zack Snyder. Yeah. 
you had them punching through brick walls and shit, and like it was super like amped up testosterone fight scene. And I'm like, come on. The only person that really is supposed to have like superpowers is Dr. Manhattan. And then arguably like Lex Luthor <laughs> yeah. powers uh, of Adrian Bate. He's right. like, super smart. Yeah. These guys aren't they, – they don't have super super strength. Yeah. Night Owl or Silk Spectre. They can, she can do like acrobatics and stuff and he's kind of like a good detective I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the color scheme that they do on this is gorgeous. I I love I forget the dude's name who who does the coloring uh, the colorer yeah I know Dave Gibbons John Higgins John Higgins John Higgins does the color it looks great especially in the fight scene where it goes all orange and yellow it's it's pretty intense yeah that's beautiful um, what did you think of um, trashy talk shows <laughs> being the thing of the eighties and uh, well that's I mean. That's pretty true to life back then. Yeah, this yeah. is where hard-hitting journalism happens on mm-hmm. yeah. a talk show. A terrible nighttime trashy talk show. Um, I think, I mean, it's pretty clear that this is a setup Yeah, from the beginning to, to the reader. Throws it right to the audience for a question. Yeah, exactly. And then it spirals pretty far out of control pretty quickly. I did like the device, though. The device that this is such a public forum that this has happened in which this is happening. Yeah, so he's he's immediately put on the spot in a way that like the only thing he can do to get away is to blast either himself out of there or everyone else away. He chooses to blast everyone else away when he could just like peace out back to his hotel room and make them all puke. I wonder if they're puking elsewhere since yeah. he just did that. <laughs> yeah. That was so I thought that was odd. Didn't you wouldn't it take more power to blast everyone else away? I think it was uh another way for um, more in Gibbons to just show the sheer power that he has. It's not that he can just like do one or two people here or there. Or he can mm-hmm. like replicate himself in a room. Got he it. can zap entire rooms of people just gone. Right. And also his complete indifference to people. Right. Right. He just. Oh. Yeah. They're, they're trivial beings that yeah. were just annoying gnats. Exactly. But you do see him actually get. Um, like a heightened emotion where he he screams, I said, leave me alone. And his power is terrifying. <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great scene from a guy that we've seen just kind of going through the motions and showing no sign of emotion mm-hmm. at all. And this might be the last straw, the last real emotional outburst he has in him. And this is juxtaposed with, uh, once again, the, the post-fight... Uh, adrenaline rush that Dan and and Lori seems to be seem to be going through. Um, they are acting like they just had sex. <laughs> 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 They're looking at each other, all sweaty and and breathing. Yeah. And she needs a cigarette. She needs a cigarette. He he needs to comb his hair. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Let's cuddle." She's like, "No, nah, I'm out of here." Then when they they all kind of part ways at the same time, you you have. Um, Silk Sector, she's walking to our hotel. Dan walks alone back to Hollis's to kind of uh, check in on things. And Dr. Manhattan's left all alone, empty in, in the in the newsroom. And they are all still very isolated. It seems like there's this glimmer of hope for Silk Spectre and Night Owl. And I know that will become a thing in a bit. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, they're still all very alone, it seems. Yeah, and I think we forgot to mention that there are these um, workers or city or government workers putting up fallout shelter signs all over the city. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a little ominous. Yeah. Um, it's it's another funny thing to remember that we are reading a comic that was put out in 1985 at the height, basically, of the Cold War, where things were getting really intense and really scary. This was four years before... Um, the agreement to take down the wall and uh, roll things back on uh, with the denuclearization. So things are still pretty intense. And the the sense of dread exhibited by the people, including the news vendor in this comic, is the same thing reflected in American society at the time this comic was coming out. In, yeah. in all of the world, pretty much. Like People were looking at these two superpowers and going, I don't know how this is going to shake out. This is kind of terrifying. So when Dan goes and sees the TV and sees the outburst, he his immediate thought isn't, 
oh, we're all screwed. He goes, oh, did Lori see this? I bet she didn't find out about this. <laughs> yeah. Which is um, kind of adorable that, like, his his attention is clearly on her and his concern is now for her. They've they've shared these moments and you can tell that he genuinely cares about her. Not that our one protection against a nuclear war may have just given up on us. Exactly. Yeah. Like, that, that should be what you're kind of scared about. <laughs> And yeah, right then, then the um, the news vendor ends up getting the uh, the uh, the late edition, the late edition yeah. that that had the big tell all reveal, and he's kind of waxing about like what this means as well, like oh maybe the world is ending, and oh and, and he thinks uh, yeah, Doctor Manhattan was queer as a three dollar bill because mm. <laughs> uh, the the ex girlfriend says they couldn't relate sexually, yeah. That homophobia. Gotta love it. <laughs> that exists. Yeah. We have Dr. Manhattan returned to his place. And this is oh. is his last like real interaction with, with people, it seems, before he realizes, oh yeah, this isn't for me. And they're already like his own his own country has also sold him out. His girlfriend left him. Everyone's accusing him of giving them cancer, and he he's harassed by that to the point that he, he shoves everyone out of the, the TV station. He goes back to his own home only to find them putting danger quarantine signs all over it and treating him as as a threat instead of the last bastion uh, of safety for, for humanity. I love that the guy plastering these warning signs all over his home is like, you know what? You're okay. You're a regular guy. Then he just like ominously morphs into gas in front of him. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, shit, he's a ghost. <laughs> um, when he's walking through this desolated land. He's in Arizona. In Arizona. Is this where he grew up? I don't know. I think, I know he finds a picture of his ex and himself as a human, right? Isn't that what that is? Right. But it looks like like he used to live in a nuclear test site. Unless this is the place where he transformed first and he mm. ended up blasting a big area. Yeah. And I don't remember because we haven't uh, read ahead yet. Yeah, I don't remember either. But he goes and gets this significant picture of him and Janie when they were younger. This is pre-Dr. Manhattan. And it's in a bar, isn't it? Um, is it? Yeah, because uh, that shot with his legs, he's walking towards the bar. Oh, and right. And he walks into the bar. And you know how bars sometimes have pictures of their patrons up there? <gasps> That's where the picture is. Dude, I think this is actually the first dong we see. This is the first frame <laughs> where we see his his genitals. All right. Which ends up, you know, scaring some people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a regular size dick. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, he's not horny right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's sad. <laughs> okay. He's sad. He's not, he's not hard. Fair enough. Yeah. So he gets his picture. He looks around, and I guess he still wanted some keepsake because there's still a degree of him that has some sentimentality for the people of Earth. Well, but, it seems like he has some sentimentality for his previous life, like yeah. like who he was. It's it's the not same necessarily thing. for people. No country for old men. Mm. No country for old blue super god men with a regular sized dick. Well, yeah, just regular dude. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Such a normal guy, normal dick. Um, <laughs> he's just like us. <laughs> Celebrities are just like us, Mike. Yeah, I know. Uh, and then he pieces off. He goes to Mars, and um, humanity screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, the one band aid keeping everything from falling apart. Yeah, and I like that. There's rumors that the Russians did some fake news to to smear Doctor Manhattan. Mm-hmm. This is a year before Chernobyl happens. That oh, happened shit. in 86. Okay. I thought this came out last year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's also kind of fascinating. Like, I wonder yeah. how the events of Chernobyl would play into what Alan Moore might have written about with yeah. this. Because when you think about that, and if, I don't know, have you seen this that show yet? Yeah. Well, I've seen the first episode. Um, they basically amazing. point out how close the planet was to destruction. <laughs> like wow. it was, it was so bad it could have fucked up this whole planet. Wow! And I'm like, shit, that's pretty terrifying. Um, yeah. And then Rorschach goes pick up his newspaper and he's like, see, the world didn't end yesterday. And Rorschach 
just so sagely says, are you sure? Notice his voice isn't squiggly here. When he's Kovacs, he can just talk in kind of a normal, weird voice. Oh, yeah. So he's not and putting that affectation he, on. He looks so non-threatening, too. Yeah, he's just a regular guy. Just a shaggy bet, ginger. But his, his dick's normal size, too. <laughs> yeah, he's just, just like us. <laughs> just like us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is getting weirdly telling. I don't know what's going on with this. Um, so, yeah, and then Laurie returns to the place. To their home to try and probably pick up that one bra oh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> that Doctor Manhattan was weirdly fondling earlier, and, and they're they're putting it into a hazmat thing. So the G Man is just like, I don't have to be nice to you anymore, lady. Yeah, we see the same pink bra go into another little um, hazmat oh, container. Pff, yeah, so that had its own little story arc too, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, I thought I thought him. Pointing out this, this was like really well done of Alan Moore to have this this government guy kind of point because I think our, we're prone now to have our sympathies a little bit aligned with Lori in this circumstance, and she just went through a breakup. Now they're messing with all of her stuff. She didn't really do anything wrong, but at the same time, this guy goes, "Do you understand?" I mean, he's he's callous about it. He says, like, mm-hmm. your meal ticket, like, treating her like like she was nothing but a, uh, a tool for keeping the peace. Well, in his eyes, that's all she was, yeah. I mean, she's a person, and that's shitty. But at the same time, there's this other stark reality of we're all fucked because <laughs> that guy left. And, um, yeah, it's not on her. But at the same time. That is the message that I think us the um, the readers need to recognize that like without Doctor Manhattan there, um, things are about to get scary. Yeah, he says the G Man says I'm in big trouble and you're in big trouble. Of course, we're all in big trouble. Right, right. Um, <laughs> then Rorschach just saunters into Dan's house after he's helped himself to some breakfast in his kitchen. Right, <laughs> as he does. Yeah, <laughs> I like how he breaks the locks, but then he's like, "I did you a favor. Those locks were shitty. Now you know." Yeah, <laughs> get better I, locks. They they have a a kind of funny relationship that th- there's parts of Rorschach that I'm like, uh, I kind of like him at times, mm-hmm. and then like he'll say something awful and be like, "Oh yeah, but you're not a good dude. You're right. you're a bad dude." Yeah, but. Uh, kind of funny. He's he's still is just he's got a little bit of a swagger, Mike. <laughs> you don't think? It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I like his outfit. Uh, and and he's nomming down some more sugar cubes. I think. Nom 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 nom. Well, he he ate a bunch of like he ate cereal and everything. Yeah, I mean he he points out to to Dan the same thing that we already know. Like Doctor Manhattan left. Um, this isn't going to be good. Things are that that's two people down already. So watch your back. And I guess the fact that he still goes up to Dan about this mm. means that he trusts Dan. Mm-hmm. Like they were partners. Yeah. Dan so. seemed Dan does seem like the most trustworthy of the supers. Right. Yeah. Him and Lori probably aren't the big masterminds picking off people. <laughs> no. But it takes him a little bit too long to really piece together who is the big mastermind. True. And yeah, and then like I already mentioned we had that heartwarming moment where the news vendor's scared, but he offers the kid the comic and his hat. And I feel like this is Alan Moore trying to say, you know what? In these scary times, at least comics have your back. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> He's just trying to <laughs> <Yeah>. sell himself. <laughs> I like. Um, well, I mean, it's pretty heavy-handed, like you said. The the uh, Black Freighter comic ends with, oh, there's a big threat coming, and. Right, right. See you next time. Uh, and this is the this is some of the most iconic imagery I think of all comics. The Black Freighter? No, um, Doctor Manhattan. Oh, on of Mars. Oh, yeah, we're good. we're getting there. The yeah. artwork, the coloring. I mean, Higgins does an amazing job picking the perfect colors to to really just like make this. You see this image. From afar, and you can immediately go, that's Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how iconic it yeah, is. Yeah, the, the pink surface of Mars. The, the pink surface and the blue skin and the, the black blue. of space. Yeah. 
it just yeah it looks so gorgeous and i i love it every time i come to this little section i've forgotten it was juxtaposed with the situation room scene right it's all yellow and fucking frightening yeah and they're like well it doesn't seem to be any good way about go- going about this <laughs> and we have fucking nixon uh, sitting there going he doesn't want to make the call oh why do i have to be the one maybe because you keep running for office you crooked fuck <laughs> Well, I'll think about this a little later. Uh, it, there's no good no good way to, to shake this out. Get rid of all your nukes. <laughs> That'd be a better way to deal with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much where we leave off. Like, Dr. Manhattan's peace off from the planet. He's hanging out on Mars. He's got that, that derpy shot that's basically, basically become a, a meme of him sitting on the rock, mm-hmm. kind of staring at us, the audience, like, mm-hmm. Well, now what? What do I do now? <laughs> and uh, and then Alan Moore decides to end this with a quote from Genesis. Right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Right. Which uh, there, there seems to be elements in this, in this issue as well as, you know, running through the comic of Alan Moore talking about the idea of um, an ambivalent God. And how how he feels like, oh, you have all this power, and yet you see all this suffering. If if Dr. Manhattan is essentially a, a proxy for God in this comic here. Yeah, which he is. He's, he's, he's acting in a, a similarly dispassionate way to the horrors of society um, that I think Alan Moore um, is trying to... Uh, point out that or at least from his perspective this is how he feels about the whole thing right and yeah and eventually um everything i guess about us humans seems so trivial that why bother time is just a construct it's a flat circle bro flat circle bro (laughs) yeah i do like this last shot even though it's become a meme of dr manhattan sitting there with that derpy look on his face in mars but Holding his one little photo. Yeah, holding his one photo. But I think um, – and, of course, we see this later in the uh, in the comic. But I think he just wanted to go somewhere where he could create his own world. And that's exactly what he starts to do. Yeah. It's just like Frozen when Elsa goes and she <laughs> makes her own ice castle. I don't have children. I've oh. never seen <laughs> the Frozen. Well, let me just say it is literally the exact same thing. Oh, okay. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is Dixon there too? Yeah. <laughs> It's weird. Okay. It's a weird movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They made some choices in that Disney movie. Got it. Uh, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You know that. And where are we left with this? Where are we left in this world? There's there's no one who, I mean, there's Rorschach who's like on this vigilante crusade. Yeah. There's Dan Dryberg who's like washed out and like doesn't seem to know to pull his shit together and try and like investigate this too because there's serious shit going down mm-hmm. um well that that final bible quote is it's an illusion to faith yeah right right so what do you make of that are we supposed to leave here with a little bit of faith that dr manhattan will come back because all throughout i'm just sensing such heavy cynicism throughout this right i don't um, think that's what we're supposed to take away I, I think it, it can work both ways because this was the third issue. You don't know where the story is going to shake out. Mm-hmm. We now have hindsight and know mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he ain't. Yeah. He ain't coming to help anyone. Um, but, yeah, he, he's sitting there and I, I guess the idea is like, will he come back and, and eventually save us? This is like the only guy who can. But I think it's also Alan Moore being able to to hang his, his uh, atheist flag to a degree and say mm. – he doesn't he doesn't think that there will be someone who does something right to save humanity. I think he sees a lot of the bleakness and he puts it out on the pages here. And he was writing this in 1985 when things didn't look great. Yeah. Not that, you know, not that things are wonderful now, but in a different way. Do you think we're going to get the same kind of cynicism, bleakness tone to the HBO show? That's what's interesting, I think. Um, it's going to be hard to hang with that show for several seasons if that's the, uh, uh, if that's the mood. Lindelof loves to deal with faith. 
loves to deal with religion and how that plays into storylines. He's not afraid of it at all. Mm -hmm. And we already see that um, one of the lead characters, uh, Regina King's character, she's part of her outfit is that she carries a rosary in her pocket. So there seems to be some sort of spiritual thing going on there. There does seem to be a – there's obviously the Rorschach worshiping cult. Mm -hmm. There's the – I, I think there's going to be a big contingent of people that are worshiping Dr. Manhattan as their new f- sort of god. Seems like it, yeah. And that is this sort of deistic, um, there's a god that exists but is apathetic to our plight kind of thing. And that's completely in, in Lindelof's wheelhouse and he's going to want to do that. Mm-hmm. That's what he did with Leftovers. He loved right. to have all these different faiths like – Joining together because he a lot like the of the guy who just walk into public places and slaughter the goat, right? Yeah, well, Lindelof um loves a lot of the iconic iconography, I think, but he also seems to be a big believer in all religions are are in the in a way similar and trying to do the same thing. And I think he like the church at the end of loss was everything. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 all faiths have the same idea and even even non faith. There's this thing that binds us. And I think that's sort of something that he 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 likes to play with and echo. And I think a lot of other people don't and they're they're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Um I know that you are more spiritual and I'm less so, and uh, he his work seems to resonate for both of us, so I think he does it pretty well. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, that's chapter three. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> on, to, on to four. Next, All right. next time. Next no, time. Let's I, go. Let's I just dive right in. I haven't read four yet. <laughs> Me neither. Um, so find us at whopodsawatchman.com. Uh, leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts. We would love to get those five-star reviews. And hit us up on Twitter if you have any ideas for, I guess, interim content between now and when the show premieres. Mm-hmm. You know, we would love to, to spice it up a little bit with just – some different content, not just, you know, going through this this comic, which we are definitely committed to doing, but maybe we'll do some special episodes. Puppet Theater. Okay, we can do that. You guys that. want Puppet Theater? You're getting Puppet Theater. Doesn't work on audio. All right, we're out. We're out.